0: Tabletop Unknown Hello and welcome back to Tabletop Unknown, the show where we playtest lesser-known tabletop RPG games. My name is Will and with me as always is Jesse. How are you going, Jesse? Good, good. Good to be back. Season 3, Season baby. Season 3. We made it. We made it. Yes. <laughs> so on this podcast, we uh, choose a tabletop RPG system, we test it with players and then we talk about it.
1: And this season, we will be exploring the Witcher tabletop role-playing game by R. Telsorian Games, which was released in August
0: of 2018. Alright, so, how you been, Jesse? It's been a been a couple months since we've been in the studio. It
1: has It has been a couple months, but there is good reason for that. Uh, you've been in a show. I have, so, I have yep. <laughs> um, We've had to also organise a different recording space,
0: yep. just for this season. Which is super exciting, by the way, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm
1: actually very excited, um... I I I sent you some pictures of it, um, and it's actually it's got an awesome vibe, um, and the owners are great as well. So I'm very excited to get into there, an actual recording studio. But yeah, I, I get, Other than that, I haven't actually been doing much. I've, I've been just slaving away at work and 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 writing for for this and 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 learning this system, um, which is good because we've had that little bit more time. I think I've actually been able to get a grasp of this new system a bit a bit better than other systems so (laughs) we don't we don't talk
0: about the uh the pokemon system made anymore we're done (laughs) yeah i don't
1: want to um yeah but i was i was thinking about the last one i dm'd which was the star wars one but i've known that very well so i was like what am i talking about anyway yeah um how about yourself so you've done you've just finished your show yeah yeah so just uh,
0: finished a, a musical um for those of our listeners who don't know jesse and i are both uh performers in local musical theater and um Yeah, I was in a show called Big Fish, which finished up... Uh, a couple of days ago and yeah it was really good it was good to sort of be back in a in a live theater space and um and and have that audience interaction again but I, i'm also really glad that it's done because uh, i can focus on this sort of thing and get some sleep so yeah, yeah. And have a life back as well yeah, I,
1: I i did see your show will you were very good but let me say those fish were so big ah, mate. like
0: so many big fish i walked in day one and went i don't think those fish are big enough they need to be double the size at least and so we yeah. need
1: at least three bigger fish <laughs> for big fish um,
0: this show okay. isn't called um, average size fish guys come on
1: <laughs> so if you're new to this podcast the way this this system works what we do here um, we work in seasons our this first episode is us explaining the system and the game world to you um, the middle episodes of the season, roughly two to five, maybe four, depending on how we go, is our real play section, where we get in some of our actor friends, and we play through the system, and we just put it through the, put it through its ropes, um, see how it plays, and then our final episode, which we have dubbed Pizza Talk, is a debrief with the DM and the cast about the plot, about the system, what we liked, what we didn't liked, didn't liked? Great. Um, <laughs> what we liked, what we didn't like. Uh, that sort of thing, and we sort of rate the system as it were. I actually, I'm thinking we need to get some sort of rating system um, in there Yay. somehow. How, like yeah. maybe like pizza slices or something.
0: <laughs> Out of know. five pizza slices, yeah, yeah. Actually, I kind of like that pizza slice rating. We can. That's um, that's a work. That's yeah. a good
1: one. And maybe we'll in that episode we'll go back and we'll just re-rate, re-rate the other two systems we've done. Yeah. Although I don't think it's going to be that. Uh, that much of a mystery what our thoughts no. are <laughs> no um, no no oh boy but yeah so that's that's a season that's how it works so this is season three we're doing the witcher um will why don't you take us through just the 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 basics of um who made this system why yeah absolutely and just go
0: into acknowledgements and the world as well yeah for sure so um as you mentioned the game was published by uh telzorian games in 2018 um, it was actually announced in 2016, um, a couple, about a month and a half after The Witcher Three came out. Presumably because of the success of The Witcher Three and the, the sort of widespread critical acclaim uh, that that had for the story and the characters, um, in particular. Now, it was written by um, Ponsmith and Ponsmith, and anyone who uh, has played uh, any of our Telsorian games as uh, a game our Telsorian games in the past might recognise that name as um, uh, Mike Pondsmith was one of the original writers of Cyberpunk. Um, so, and he also had a hand in a, in a couple of um, Dungeons & Dragons lines as well, Forgotten Realms and Oriental Adventures. Uh, however, this wasn't written by Mike. This was written by his wife, Lisa, uh, Lisa Pondsmith, and his son, Cody. Uh, is that right? Yeah, Cody Pondsmith. Um, oh, there
1: you go. There you go. Yeah,
0: so... Um, Again, Cody Pondsmith has had, uh, and Lisa, have both had um, hands in in writing um, Cyberpunk, part of the Cyberpunk series, particularly the newer Cyberpunk 2077 um, with uh, uh, Project Red games. Um, Yeah, so... Ponsmiths are all over it. They and they have um, taken to this Witcher RPG as well. Um, yeah. So obviously, though, um, no RPG is written in a vacuum. The Cody and Lisa Ponsmith have written it, but there is a bunch of, of credits um, for illustrations, layouts, and designs, things like that. I won't go into all of them, unfortunately, but they are at the front of the book, and, and we thank each and every one of them. Um, I will say that if you do,
1: I will say if you do get the chance to get a hold of this book. I highly recommend doing so it is absolutely beautiful. Mm, yeah. Um and one of my favorite parts about this book is that the writers will actually talk to you directly and sort of explain why they've done certain things just in little side panels in the margins, which is actually really helpful so you sort of have a bit of a a better understanding of why the why the system works the way it does. And they also do give really good examples um within law like they've presented an example to you, um, as if it's part of the Witcher universe, and it's written almost like a story. There's all these little tiny story sections yeah, in the book as well. Absolutely, just, it's just excellent. Really good for immersion. Teaches you how to play the system really, really smoothly because you're reading it as if you're reading fiction. Yeah,
0: and the, the whole um, you know breakdown of the history in the world is written in in character. A guy named Rodolph Casmere, Casmere, Casmere. Uh, i probably getting that completely wrong. Um, but yeah, that's the character that actually talks you through the history, the recent history, the Nilfgaardian Wars, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it is really interesting the way that the book is designed and the way it's set out. And like you said, it's beautiful to look at. The artwork, the the maps, all of that stuff is really, really stunning. Um, so excellent work by all of the team over at Artelsorian Games. Um, so just to give you a bit of an idea as to what the world is like in The Witcher... Um, for those of you who may not have played the game, may not have seen the, um, the Netflix series with the infamous shirtless Henry Cavill in a bath scene, um, the world of The Witcher is a really dark adult fantasy world. Um, I would probably liken it closer to, much closer to Game of Thrones than Lord of the Rings, um, but it is also Mm. a little bit different to Game of Thrones as well, um, in that it is much more steeped in, um, mythology, monsters, um magic, all of that sort of stuff, whereas that sort of took a bit of a side, was part of a side story of, of Game of Thrones, at least in the earlier seasons. Um, so yeah, in the world of The Witcher, life is hard and short and violent, um, and the little people, it's all about the little people, the little people that get caught up in these these bigger um, sort of world-changing events, um, which I find really interesting. So that's what we're sort of working with, guys. The continent that exists is um, broken up into a number of countries or a number of of, of sort of city-states, but there has been these really huge world-changing wars in recent history um, called the Nilfgaardian Wars um, or the Northern Wars, which has affected people and affected um, the way in which certain certain species and certain people are um, greeted and treated. So that's sort of a, a, what The Witcher is all about. Um, again, if you don't know the series, The Witcher might be a strange sort of name. It actually refers to um, a class of characters or a, a particular profession within the world. Witches are these um uh,
1: I'd happily run. I, I'll, I'll happily run you through witches if you like. Oh, please uh, we'll do. Say, yeah, give you some breath. So I actually really love uh, this world. So I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. Um, witches are basically mutants. Uh, they are created by magical and alchemical means, um, and they are people that are mutated to be monster killers. Um, they have cat-like eyes that with sort of like a yellow tinge. Um, Some of the advanced mutations give the witches white hair um, and they all have very, very long lifespans. Um, And the irony being that their line of work will kill them before old age does, um, but the most famous character, Geralt of Rivia, is a witcher and um, his age is sort of all the stories go over a large portion of his age and he doesn't really change over that ageing period. I think we look at about up to 80 years in his midlife that we go through and he doesn't really change in terms of age at all. So they are very long-lived beings. Um, and it's actually worth noting that all races except humans in this in, in this world are actually quite long-lived. It's humans that are sort of the... the we- I, I want to say weaker, but I don't. Um, a big part of this world is that humans are actually interlopers in this world. And I'll just very quickly, very quickly get into the lore um, for you, just so you have a better understanding of why the way the world works.
0: Absolutely. Why yeah, the world works this
1: way. So in the in sort of the genesis of, the, of this Witcher world, there was a, an event called the Conjunction of Spheres, which basically was a bunch of different realities overlapping temporarily. What this did was it threw... Humans, elves, um, dwarves, halflings, fuckloads of monsters from all different worlds, all into this one world. Everyone got stranded in this one place. And what that meant was all these this massive population of humans suddenly had to make their way in this world that wasn't theirs um, and then as humans are known to do at least with a western colonialized, colonialization sort of mindset oh they just go through and and, and rape the land and, and destroy these races that were already here and basically take up residency um, so humans are the most populous person in this world, and they are quite hated by most other races because of everything they've done. But also, humans are quite xenophobic as well. So that's actually something this system does take into account: is, is racism. So there is a massive, um, there's a massive focus on that in both the series, the books. Um, and this game as well, which I think is actually interesting. It doesn't shy away from that. It actually looks at it with a very stringent eye um, and sort of talks you through how to do it appropriately and that sort of thing. But um, it and that sort of reinforces that this dark world is actually very adult. Um, so The Witcher as a as an IP is something for adults mm. as well. Yeah. So yeah. So if, if you have children, The Witcher probably isn't for them um just straight but, up yeah. straight up off the bat straight
0: up yep <laughs> um yeah cool uh, but yeah look uh, i think you know, not shying away from that sort of stuff is is really great and um and like you said it, t- it takes it into account really well and it's really um really interesting but let's sort of get straight into i suppose some character creation stuff so yeah um the the the, the book has a really interesting way that you can sort of develop a character and it's and it's um and a, it's backstory why don't you sort of talk us through that jesse
1: yeah, so just quickly, um, I will just touch on... You'll get into it a bit later with gameplay, but this system only uses um, 10-sided dice and 6-sided dice. Hmm, so, yeah. straight up, basically, what a life path is, that's that's how they talk about it. So, a life path for your character is a way to build history. Um, and it's actually a really fun tool that basically randomizes how your character has grown up into their current state. So... Um, generally what you do is you choose a race, and I'll get into the races in a sec, and then you figure out their life path. The life path works by simply rolling a D10, and then you follow down this tree of different tables of D10s that you need to roll. So the very first one is where you're from basically on the continent if you are human you uh, roll a d10 and if you have evens you're from the northern realms if you have odds you're from nilfgaard and then you roll another d10 and then you are from one of the 10 places in each of those factions from there those factions will then give you one statistical bonus for example redania if you were born in redania you have a plus one to education so that's a that's a really cool thing um from there, you roll another D10 to determine the state of your parents and family. So you either have parents or you don't. They're dead. Um, and then based on that, you either go, where are my parents now? Or what happened to my parents? And it's it's similarly like that. You keep going down. You go down all these trees. And by the end of it, you get a rich backstory, which is just full of information that you can either use or not use.
0: Um, can I just um, sort of jump in and say that I really, really love doing this? Um... Oh, it is... So much fun. It is, yeah. Now, uh, I suppose the interesting thing is that you could sort of approach it in two ways. You could could do your life path and then choose a profession or a class or something, or you could start off with an idea as to what class you want and then run through the life path. And I actually did it that way. So I decided I wanted to be, just spoiler alert, I decided I wanted to be a doctor. Um, But then the life path, just going through that with that sort of in that framework was... um, really fascinating. Yeah, just, and I, I, it's yeah. funny
1: it, it's so interesting you've done it that way cuz what I did I did it the complete other way, which was I all I chose was my race and then I rolled down the life path. Um when I first made I just was going through the system testing it and so I made a human um, and I rolled their life path, and I was like, oh my god, this person is a bard. I grew up in an artistic family that travelled around, like, doing the- theatrics and being, like, in the theatre family. They had, like, nine siblings. Half of them hated the person, and I was like, oh my god, this is great. There's so much here that's that's usable and relevant. So, like you you can roll for how many siblings you have and then you can you basically roll another bunch of times for each sibling and it goes okay this sibling is a it's an older sibling it's a it's it's your sister they don't care for you that much and they're bratty and then you just get like a really basic understanding of that person so it just gives the dm more fuel to use so it's an the life path system is so wonderful um and another part of my testing, <laughs> I actually got one of my friends to create a Witcher character. The Witches have a similar thing. If you choose to be a Witcher class, you actually roll on a different life path, but we'll get to that in a bit. But basically, you also roll for every decade you've been alive, and then that what that determines is like the main event of that decade. So we made a Witcher character who was 300, and we rolled 30 times for the for, for their decades. Um <laughs> And oh my god, it came up with the richest history. Yeah, yeah. Like it was so amazing, and it's so cool because all everything you roll, because it's very, um, all the terms and wording is very loose, so it's open to interpretation. So, um, there was a constant reference to a mage in this. uh, In when we rolled up this thing, a mage kept popping up. There was an enemy that was an ally at one point. We decided this is actually one person and that just keeps popping in and, and either ruining or making this person's life. Very similar to Geralt and Yennefer, if you know any of that law, but it's just a wonderful system. I, if you do grab this system, I, I highly recommend rolling the life paths instead of choosing what you want because you just, you come up with such a, like a much more interesting character yeah, that way.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, just uh, just sort of to mention it as well, the life path, as well as um, as serving to fill out the backstory of your character, also because, as we said, you know your role for siblings and, and you know enemies and all that sort of thing. Um, it's actually mentioned in the book that the reason why they it's important to note that stuff is because it gives you an easy uh, stepping in point if your character happens to die.
1: Oh, Which I think is really must interesting, that. yeah, that's no really cool. I, I
0: I can't remember where in the book it mentions it, but it definitely does say if your character dies, you have three siblings that you can pick up and sort of create <laughs> yeah, flesh out a bit that's more so and it's, cool. it's sort of tied in with the party still because there's obviously that shared history that you're gonna create as a party um so yeah it's it's really interesting the way that they sort of I suppose account for possible and and probable. Uh, situations in which your character is going to die because Jesse as you you mentioned just to me just before the microphone uh before off mic before the the microphone (laughs) times um (laughs) it's it's kind of likely that characters will die in this right
1: yeah yeah this system doesn't shy away from character death and combat is very uh has the has the chance of being very quick and very decisive um, based on a number of factors, which when we get into combat, we'll talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll quickly just jump into the races. Yep. So um, there are not as many race options as, as, say, Dungeons and Dragons and that sort of thing, but that mainly has to do with the lore. So, um, so humans, elves, dwarves... I think there's halflings as well... Um, and witches. Now, you might be thinking... Witches, I thought that was a profession. And yes, it is. But because of the way they are made, they're actually made... Witches are made from children, so they wouldn't actually have much of a life before being a witcher. So that's why they've put them in a separate category. Yeah. There are other races of witcher and stuff like that that are sort of known about. Um, there's like different schools of the witches, um, And for example, I'm pretty sure... If my my friend that's gonna listen to this knows the law really well, he's gonna shoot me. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure the school of the cat has elv elven witches, um as well. So I think like that sort of stuff. So, um but yeah. So the way the way the races work is each race obviously gives you a bunch of different advantages and disadvantages. Um for example, humans are generally um. One of their advantages is they're not hated, mm. and they're because humans are everywhere, you are more likely to be accepted. Um, but if you choose elves, for example, they get a bunch of bonuses to like archery art, arts and and crafting. Um, but they are pretty much hated and disliked almost everywhere in the northern realms. Um, Dwarves—they're not as hated as humans um, uh, as as elves—and um, they have bonuses to crafting and merchants, mercantile arts and that sort of thing Um, and obviously if you choose any of the non-human races your life path rolling takes a little bit of a different um, path as well which is interesting Mm, Um, but yeah that social standing system basically there's a very simple table where it it has humans uh, elves dwarves nilf guardians witches and mages and then it has every single location on the the social standing of that location so um, I'll quickly go through skeliger skeliger is a is a is a um, sort of like an archipelago nation just off the coast of the northern realms or northern kingdom sorry um, and they pretty much tolerate everyone <laughs> um, so uh, if you do want to sort of avoid that racism part you can just run a game in skeliger because they're pretty much cool with anything over there they um they Witches are kind of feared still, but they have a weird respect for witches and same with mages, they sort of respect them as well. So now the social standing is a is a cool system that sort of leans into the law. But it's really only relevant for your race. There, There is a reputation system, Will. Do you want to quickly talk us through the reputation system? It's not very big, but it, it's just that little bit of extra flair which sort of adds to how people are going to interact with you. NPCs are going to interact yeah, with the player characters. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. It's just that little bit of paprika you chuck in to make it interesting. Um, absolutely. So, um, your character can have a, a, a reputation, and that reputation can either be positive or negative. And the way that that is sort of grown is that... Um, reputation points are, give, are awarded to the player by the game master based on a character's actions. Um, so once you have a reputation level, you each time you meet a new character, you roll a d10. And if that d10 is lower or equal to your reputation score, um, then they, that person has heard about you and react in, a, in an appropriate way. And the levels sort of run from... And this is both positive and negative run from um 1 through to 10. 1 being that your reputation is only so big that only anyone who was there at the time actually has heard of this um this event that took place or this thing that happened um through to level 10 whereas every single person knows the tale of you know um Joe the merchant. Um <laughs> So, but the the interesting thing is, like I said, it can be a positive or a negative reputation. So you could have a really positive reputation in that you, I, I don't know, saved a, a group of children from a uh, giant spider, or you could have a really negative reputation in that you were a big coward who ran away at the slightest um, sign of, of of hairy arachnids, uh, which would probably be me. But um, yeah, so like and. The interesting thing as well is that reputation can sometimes affect um, skill rolls. So if you're a merchant with a rep for being like a reputation for being a really kind-hearted dealer, um, you probably wouldn't get, you know, you wouldn't be able to roll intimidation that well because you have this huge reputation for being really kind-hearted. Um, whereas maybe you could roll and get a bonus to charisma, um, which I find is really interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's just sort of how reputation works. Did, did I did I cover it about right, Jesse? Yeah, I
1: think I think that's pretty much everything. the good The good thing about reputation is that it is it runs um, sort of parallel to your social standing. So even if you are an elf, um, and humans are going to hate you wherever you go, if your reputation is high enough in the positive, it might not actually matter. They might be too engrossed with your story and that you're a famous person. And it might just completely avoid the fact that that person is a racist, and they'll be like, "No, you're you're one of the good ones," or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it has, yeah. It'll have these interesting interactions that, obviously, with a good DM, can capitalize on. So it really opens that um, for a, a really simple baseline for the DM to go, "Okay, this this is this person's famous. They're an elf. Blah 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 blah." Like. It works in that favour, so it's really interesting. Which, like you said, just adds um,
0: some really interesting flavour to the um, to the world and to the to the game.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's get into the classes of this system, which are actually called professions. So, um, you've chosen your race, you've you've rolled your life path, and you might have an idea based on this life path what class you might want to take, and there f- and from there you'll take the class. But I'll just quickly run through them. So we have a bard, obviously, because
0: <laughs> toss a coin to then a witcher, not? all that <laughs> um
1: craftsman criminal doctor mage man at arms merchant priest and then witcher um witches are a whole other thing so we're putting them separate um and also there are, is actually a newly released class which Will and I stumbled on on the wiki um which is which is possibly some of the best uh ttrpg character creation material i've ever seen in my life and it's called the peasant (laughs) um yeah i'll get into that later anyway so every single profession has a key skill um and uh so for craftsman that is craft item um mage it's cast magic um and so on, bard is like perform, that sort of thing. And that is sort of the basic ability that they can do that defines their class that the other classes can't do. So a bard can go into a town and they can do a perform check and then based on that perform check, they can pretty much always earn a certain amount of money randomised based on how well they perform and how well their check goes, where they are um, and how the economy is of the town. Um, So that's the bard sort of job at a really base level in the party is to at least earn some money. So they can, like, you know, do things and function as a party, as a group. Um, But obviously the men-at-arms have a bit more of, like, a combat base. So they they are meant to be fighting constantly. They have certain abilities that complement that. Um, So once you've chosen your your profession, your class, your profession... um, you then have this is where we get into the statistics of your of the of the player character. So you need to determine your stats. So stats are really simple. Um you roll nine D tens and you re-roll any time you get a one or a two, because they're so low. Yeah. Um, from what I can tell, three is the average. Like three is th- not the average that you roll, but three three means it's it is the everyday level of that skill. So That's why there's no 1s or 2s. Our player characters are a bit more exceptional than the average peasant, so they won't have any 1s or 2s, which are, like, pathetic, and they don't know how to function within that thing. So the stats themselves are... Yes, so these are your statistics. There is nine of them. So we have intelligence, which is obviously solving solving puzzles or problems, performing science deduction, stuff like that. Reflexes, which are for fighting, dodging... Tasks that require fast reactions and movement. Dexterity is for ranged attacks and hand-eye coordination. Body is for things that require great strength. Speed is how fast you are. Empathy is for affairs of the heart, so seducing and persuading. We have crafting, so that's for using alchemy and machinery. Uh, sorry, not alchemy, machinery and like artillery, using it and setting traps, that sort of thing. Will is then for your intimidation, but also your magical checks and your mental endurance checks. So it's like the sheer power to keep going. And then we have one final skill, which is called luck. Um, It's a bit different to other skills in most games. Um, So the way luck works, luck is a pool of points that's used to change things in your favor. So before you do a skill check or or a death save or something, you can add luck. Um, And for every point you use of your luck, you gain an additional one to your roll um however you must use you you have to decide how many points you're going to use before the roll um and your luck pool um re replenishes at the start of every session
0: so just just as a as a clarifying question there so if i had say five luck in my luck skill uh stat sorry and i go look i really i really need to pass this this roll can i use all five in one roll
1: Absolutely. Yeah, cool. You just have to declare it before the roll.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, awesome.
1: Yeah. Um. The way that obviously that that shows how lucky your character is by things just going in their favor more often than not. So a high luck stat um, obviously means you have more to play with when uh, rolling for certain things. Yeah. Um, and because it does replenish at the start of every session, you can obviously capitalize on it pretty well. Um, so, yeah, they're all stat- statistics. Um. As I said, you roll 9d10s, and then you allocate them however you want accordingly. There is obviously some derived statistics to determine uh, like your health and stuff, uh, and and your run speed, leaping, stamina, that sort of stuff. Um, There is a thing called the physical table, which actually does a lot of this for you. So all you need to do is you need to plus your body and will together, and then divide it by half, and then you'll get a number. And that number... In the physical table, you just go down, and it tells you exactly how much health, stamina, recovery, and stun you have. So
0: Yeah, cool. Makes really it nice there. and easy for you.
1: Really easy. Um, so, going back... We're going to double back onto the classes again. So, for every class, they have what's called um, a skill package, which is... As I said, every class has a one their, their one unique skill that they can use, but also they have a bunch of other skills um, that fall under those statistics I just mentioned. So I will just go through. Um, I think I'll go through the Bard's skill package just so to make it very clear um, for us how these skills work. basically, even though there is a broad range of skills, each class only has a very particular selection of those skills so for the bard their skills are charisma deceit performance language they can choose one additional language human perception persuasion streetwise fine arts seduction and social etiquette so when you're creating your character you get 44 points to put into those skills and i don't think you can go over a six in character creation so however you want yeah so, however you want to to arrange your skills, you just put them straight in there, um, any manner. It doesn't matter if you have ones or zeros or or. You, I'm pretty sure it would be stupid to have no skill in some of your class skills because this is what you're meant to be doing. But I mean, there's nothing to stop you. Um, so yeah, you put it all down and once you're done you then look at your intelligence stat and your reflex stat you add these points together and then you have another pool of of points to use for any other skills that are not in your skill profe- in your profession skill package so the bard has no sword skills for example so we would take our intelligence and reflex add it together and we would have a bunch of points we would use those points to maybe put skill points into swordsmanship so our bard can now defend himself with a sword. Yeah,
0: and they physically. they call these pick-up skills, the idea being that you've just sort of picked up some skills in the world as you've gone and lived. So the idea of a bard being a swordsman as well isn't, isn't completely ridiculous. It's a skill that he would probably pick up at some point.
1: Yeah, on the road, defending themselves, yeah, something like that. Absolutely. So um, it's just another way to really... Uh, fine-tune your character and give them a bit more to do. Um, the final thing I will talk about with um, with your classes and, and player characters is you also have a skill tree. So, as all the classes are described, we'll use the Bard again. So the Bard's busking skill, that is their defining skill. From there, the Bard has access to three skill trees. Um, the Charmer, the Informant, and the Manipulator. So each one has a... Uh, I think culminates in three different abilities, um, and you go down each one. So you learn one. You need at least two points to get the next ability. You need at least three points to get the final ability. That sort of thing. Um, and I'll talk about those points in a sec. But basically, it's just another little thing to fine tune your character. So if it, if this was an MMORPG online, if you chose a warrior, you know this would be the equivalent to like, am I? A protection fighter? Do I dual wield or do I have a big ass weapon? Like I like, they're your options essentially. Yeah, so it's like that last sort of fine tuning thing for your bard. So if your bard was sort of like a spy, for example, you could go down the informant tree and you get a bunch of relevant skills eventually, um, and you get these over time. You build them up um, by adding in IP, um, which takes me on to my last little thing before jumping onto witches is leveling. So IP. Is um, improvement points. Now, the way this works is really simple. The DM will award improvement points anytime you do something cool or interesting with a particular skill. Um, and once you have a pool of improvement points, you can then spend that on all of your skills to level them up appropriately. So, using our bard, let's say we want to increase his seduction ability, and his seduction ability is at five. We need at least five improvement points to take our seduction skill up to a six. Right, okay. Yes. So so it goes in stages. So you can't jump from a five to a nine. Well you 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 actually can, but it would be five plus six plus seven plus eight. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Improvement points. So you do each step is The the implication is is that you slowly get better at all your skills over time. And that's the way... It's very simple, that's the way it works. So, um, I mean, it's only a single page in this whole thing for levelling up. But yeah, and then it just has a little table as well for showing you how much points you should be giving as the DM. So, one point is that the character participated often, two points they participated effectively three they used their skills effectively four they did something impressive five they did something out of the box six they did something incredibly clever seven was critical to the party's success eight they saved the entire party and nine they blew the gm's mind so that, that, that's how that's how you determine how how you get your improvement points and that sort of things
0: yeah I suppose that that sort of um that sort of method of of, of... Distributing points really relies on a a really engaged GM as well, which, um, yeah, your GM has to be on pretty much always, yeah. Um, which I know won't be a problem for us, but if, yeah, maybe that's just something to consider,
1: yeah. But like, if you're a GM that likes to sit back and watch the role play and stuff, like, you feel free to do that, but you do need to still be paying attention and go, actually, can I award them? Like, you constantly need to be looking how to reward your players, so that's a bit different, opposed to like telling your story, you sort of need to let the story unfold. Have an idea of where you're going, obviously, but the way they improve isn't just by winning whatever scenario you give them, it's actually by being good players and, and interacting properly and that sort of stuff. So, okay, the last one, which if you're a Witcher fan, you've been waiting for this, this is Witchers themselves. So, witches are a bit different. Um, <clears throat> because of all the lore, they obviously have to take things in the creation process a bit differently as well. So, with other classes and races, you roll down your life path and that sort of thing. But witches, because they are taken from birth, they actually have to roll through the um, the the law of how witches are made. So when you choose a witcher, you have to determine at the very start sort of what age your witcher was taken by other witches. Um, So I'm pretty sure it's like quite young, like single digits age, and then like budding teenager age. So... Um, so much like the Witcher life paths, you're obviously rolling a d10 for these. You can you can choose these, or you can roll. Again, I recommend rolling. Um, so yes, as I just said, infancy, early childhood, or late childhood. Um, and these give you different. This actually gives you different bonuses for later in rolling in the life paths. For example, if you're taken in late childhood, you get a plus two for the trial the trial of the grasses, which I'll get to in a sec. Um, you then roll what school you were taken to. And each school has a different statistical change or something like that. For for example, the wolf school, you have no penalty to strong attacks. The griffin school, you have an additional two vigor. Cat school, you're immune to non-magical charm attempts. The viper school, there's no penalty for dual wielding. And the bear school, you get a minus two for your armor penalties. So, yeah, again, you roll on the table for that. You then roll about how well your tr- early training went, which is interesting because you can either get a positive or a negative here. So something could have gone wrong or something could have gone right. Very cool. Tells a bit more of a story. Then the final thing um, in this sort of starting Genesis part is how well your trial of the grasses went. And just for law sake and relevance, this is the mutations that they do on the people, on the witches to actually make them into these killing machines. Um... And based on how well it went, we'll give you negative or positives to stats, actually. So it's quite important. Um, and there was only four options, but um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Anyway, f- anyway, from there, you then roll again on your D10 to figure out what was your most important event. Um, as as a Witcher, which sort of, again, is more fuel for the DM, more fuel for you to sort of determine your, play- your PC story. And then you can also roll on where are you now. Um, From there, you then need to roll um, your life as a Witcher. So you can either be coming in new, you're a new Witcher, which obviously determines where you are in the lore, but still could happen. Um, And based on that, um, you need to roll on how dangerous your work was, which will give you certain things. So based on how risky it was, you'll either... Either get a benefit, an ally, uh, or a hunt. And on a 10, nothing really interesting happened. So, um, yeah, and you get to, for each one of those that you roll, um, for a benefit, obviously gives you something positive. An ally will give you something positive. Um, and a hunt will sort of tell you exactly what you fought. And that sort of thing. Which might give you you some like kick-ins with some particular... Ability checks and that sort of thing. Um, the Witches, their ability... Their core class ability is... Um, monster lore. So they can actually know about monsters... Which regular people can't. Um, the most... The interesting thing about this is all the monster pages... They actually have the... Whatever skill is required to know about the monster... At a at a, at a like really basic level. Which is things like... Um, like tall tales from peasants yeah, um, right. and mythology about creatures. But then the monster lore section actually tells you about actually actual information about the monster. So it's like, okay, I know it only comes out at this time. It's this strong. Uh, this is how they're made, mm, that sort of thing. And only we... witches yeah, yeah. And only witches have access to that knowledge, which is really cool. So it actually makes witches really relevant if you are going to be a heavy monster um Based campaign, uh,
0: which is really cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool.
1: Yeah, so that's pretty much everything about character creation. Um, each class, again, has their own separate kick ins. Mages obviously can use magic, priests can use a different kind. We'll get into that later. But yeah, um, Will, let's get into the gameplay now. Yeah, let's um, jump into the Do you want to just bit. give us an intro to that? This is actually how we're playing the game. Yeah,
0: cool. So, it, um, look, gameplay in The Witcher is um similar if you've played any other rpg you know basically how it should run um the interesting thing about the witcher is that it only uses two types of dice so it only uses d10s and d6s now, D10s we've encountered already in life path creation, but it also is used for the actual gameplay as well. Skill checks, um, which I'll get into in just a second, um, that uses a D10. Things like um, uh, combat and, and wounding and all that sort of stuff uses D6s. So you'll usually um, need a couple of each of those um, to, to play the game. Uh, Now, skill checks work pretty much the same way whether you're opposing an antagonist, opposing a difficulty, or opposing a target's difficulty check. Basically, you roll a d10, then you add the skill level um, for the skill that you're checking and the appropriate stat level. So if I was uh, trying to dodge an incoming attack, I would roll my d10, add my dodge skill. And dodge skill falls under the reflex stat, so I would also add my reflex stat to um, to see what I get. Yeah, that's pretty much how skill checks work, which uh, took a little bit of working out for myself. Um, I don't know how you found it, Jesse, but yeah, it just took a little bit of working out to try and work out exactly what it was that was supposed to be happening. But yeah, the, once you've sort of got it, and you that it makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, so I think skill checks within combat is a bit more difficult, but skill checks outside are pretty simple. So as you said, it is um, the skill, the statistic that the skill falls under, which is, we didn't go through it, but every skill falls under one of those statistics that we mentioned. Um, and then obviously the D10 role as well, and that's indicative of sort of luck's role in, in interacting. It takes the place of the D20. Um Another good thing to point out is that unlike Dungeons & Dragons or other systems that use a D20, um, there is no immediate critical success or critical fail on uh, based on the roll. Um, the only way to actually get critical successes or fails is by going a certain amount of points over the difficulty check. Um, and I think for the basic critical, at least in combat, if you get over 7 or if you get seven or 7 or more is considered a critical and then you can roll on a certain table. But yeah. Um, so yeah, that skill checks. It's very simple. the the um, DM sets the DC, which as you read the book and going and you go through um, the, the game master's section, you, you learn what an appropriate DC is and based on how hard something is, that sort of thing. And also I'm pretty sure there's a small table for percentage of successes for each, uh, for each DC, yeah, role. Is, yeah, and based on,
0: and also yeah, examples so. and examples of modifiers, and um, yeah, and it is interesting to note that um, light levels play a part in difficulty checks as well. Um, so, depending on how bright it is outside, um, basically, if it's anything other than daylight, you get a plus modifier to a difficulty check. So, if it's in glaring light, it's plus two. If it's in dim light, it's plus two, and if it's in darkness, it's plus five. So. Um, I find that really interesting as well.
1: Yeah, very cool. Um, Going more into the gameplay, so there's obviously some few things that don't fall under combat. So we're just going to quickly cover them first, and then we'll get into the combat section of the game. Obviously, combat is big in every tabletop RPG, but there is other parts of this system that are actually really interesting. So first off, I'll just go through the magic very quickly. So magic um, is based on your class's rigor stat. Now, your sorry, vigor, not rigor, (laughs) vigor. So yeah, every class has a base Vigor stat and that determines exactly how much magic they can use. Most classes, it's zero. Sorry. However, other classes such as the Mage, Priest, Witcher, they all have a a, a Vigor number and that number determines how much magic they can use. Um, there's different kinds of magic, so mages, they mainly focus on spells, and the way spells work is they fall under uh, one of the four elements, air, earth, fire, and water, um, and then there's also some spells that are mixed element. Um, they each have different effects, every spell's unique, much like D&D, um, they have different purposes and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Every single spell, though, does have a defense against it. And in the description of the spell, it will tell you what you need to do to defend against this spell. So if it's something like a fireball, the defense is generally the block skill. Uh, You need to physically block it or the dodge skill and jump out of the way of the fireball, that sort of thing. There is also priest incantations. Now, this is unique to the priest class. They're sort of like smaller versions of magic which are like tiny buffs um, and it's definitely more of a support class whereas mate's like an attack class um, there is rituals which I'm pretty sure anyone can use a ritual um, regardless of vigor you just need to actually have all the components and, and, and stuff to actually perform a ritual but a ritual is another form of magic that is like summoning something binding something, revealing something that sort of thing. The Rituals are generally tied to a place as well And then there are hexes, and hexes, uh, it's a bit interesting in this system, there is a whole way to build a curse, which can be used as a plot device, or you can even curse a player, something like that. And and these hexes and these curses, there is a way to build them in the system, and it generally involves rolling on a table, again, like a lot of things in this system. Um, and then figuring out the source of the curse, why it's happened, and then also what is required to remove it if it can be removed. Um, there is lycanthropy in there as well. so you can have a werewolf character um, that you know turns into a werewolf on a full moon, that sort of thing. And you, which also ironically is a monster type. so that could be some really interesting stuff. you can play you can play with a lot of these curses. Um, it's really interesting and some of them can be really minor like you can't use your luck, but some of them can be more severe like werewolves that sort of thing
0: i um i think the most interesting thing about magic and you mentioned there was the four types the earth um, fire air and uh, water um yeah i think the coolest thing is that if you do all four at once bruce willis appears in a flying taxi (laughs)
1: yeah 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 um also i think a little bald kid shows up in an air glider (laughs) as well um Now there is there is one other form of magic, um, which is unique to the Witcher class, uh, and I just want to quickly touch on them. They're called signs, and I'm going to test myself here and see if I can remember all the signs. Ooh, so we here have we go. here we go. Okay, so we have Ard, which is very simple. Um, uh, sorry, just quickly, a sign is like it's a small hand movement um, that is powered it's essentially by intention, which then will create an effect. So generally, you make a sign with your hand, and then you use it to cast the magic. It's very simple. Mages... It's nothing to a mage. A mage thinks it's like, oh, like, look, how cute witches with their magic. It's not magic. Um, but for witches, it's actually quite important. So there is Ard, which is a telekinetic blast of force, which will push things back. There is Igni, which is a quick spout of fire. Yep. Um, there is Quen, which is uh, a defense um it's like a defensive magic it sort of will add uh i'm pretty sure it adds stopping power to uh, to you or something like that yep um there is oxy which is um like a persuasive spell you can use it to convince people of things and there is Yerden, which is a trapping spell
0: yeah it's pretty good <laughs> I man. think that's well done. yeah yeah
1: that's all of them. There are some additional ones in the lore, but they're not used in this system. Um, from those signs, so every Witcher can use that those signs, there is also an alternate form of that sign as well, which you can then choose to use, or, or it requires more vigor, or you need to level it up, or something like that. I don't think you get it at the base level. You have to earn it, or, or learn it, or unlock it, or something like mm, that, but... Mm. Let's see if I can. I'll just. I reckon I can do the the upgraded oh, versions here we as go, well. here So we I'm go. pretty sure. Got them open. Ard the yeah the Ard I think is a 360 telekinetic burst instead of just a forward facing one. Yep. I think Igni is a stream of fire that you can hold down and continually burn. It is. Yep. Um. I think Oxy makes that person fight for you. It, like it turns them in combat. Perhaps it's called
0: puppet. Yep.
1: Puppet or uh, all right. Um. What's the other two? There's Yurden and what's Quen. the other one? Quen. Quen, I think is a again. It's a three hundred and sixty shield from memory. Ah, uh, yes, it is. Ah, uh, excellent. Um, and Yurden. Oh, Yurden, I think traps. No. Yeah. Yep. Creates
0: the, a magical trap.
1: Crea- yeah. It creates a magical circle that if someone walks in, they can't walk out, or it has an effect in that area, or something like yep.
0: that. Yeah. 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 There you go. There we go. You big nerd. I'm a big old nerd.
1: Cool. <clears throat> so that's magic uh, very quickly. Um, other than magic, there is two other parts to this system that are really cool. Um, that's crafting and alchemy. So I'll quickly go through crafting. So the way crafting works is throughout the world and in the book, there is a bunch of materials that the book just lays out for you. It's there. It can be picked up as loot. You can find it. You can buy it. Whatever. Um, There is also a thing called schematics. So, that basically is the instructions on how to make something. So, if you want to make something, let's say a very simple iron sword. If you have the schematic for an iron sword, Mm -hmm. congratulations, we can move on. So, first of all, determine if you have the schematic. Second, determine if you have the components. So, with an iron sword, you obviously need iron, wood, and leather for the handle. Um, So, you must determine if you have all this. If you do have all this you can then, congratulations, roll a crafting check. Um, Based on if that check passes the DC of that item, you will either create it in a certain amount of time, or you will fail. If you fail creating it, you can then roll to see if you can reclaim some of the material Mm -hmm. um, immediately after, and then you obviously have the chance of trying again if you have enough left.
0: That's a really cool little uh, mechanic I quite like that.
1: Really really cool and you can make thing you can make weapons, you can make armor, you can make some gear, anything all the way up to high level Witcher armor. Yeah, right. Um you can create if you have the correct schematic for it. So that's really
0: cool. Yeah, cool. And schematics are just found in the world, are they?
1: Yep, found in the world. I'm pretty sure um some higher levels of the crafter class profession can also create schematics oh, cool. or, like, duplicate schematics and then sell them, that sort of thing. So um, there is one other thing I just will quickly touch on with the crafting. Mm-hmm. Um, if your characters have a bit of extra coin, what you can do is there is a thing called investment. So if you go to a town and you have some money, the GM can tell you that the investment for this item is this much, this much gold. So if you have that much gold, you can pay that investment cost, and essentially what that means is you just buy the items you need to make it from the town, and you and you have them. Right. So even if yeah. you don't, yeah. So so you can just pay the investment cost to the to the town or wherever you are to get all the items. You don't actually need to go around and find them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it just really simplifies that system as well. If you don't want to get too heavy into it, you don't want to make them constantly search for. Oh, I need to go to this forest to get this wood, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You can just pay the investment cost. Um, and then from there, every item you create also has a cost as well. So that cost is the value of the item. So you can go from there. Very cool. Very cool. Very simple. Big fan. The second thing is alchemy. Alchemy, again, very cool thing. So <clears throat> basically, the, the very fundamentals of alchemy are every sort of natural component or, or scientific component that you find in the world can be broken down into one of nine sort of alchemical substances, they're called. Yeah. Don't get me to name them. I can't remember. (laughs) I know there's, I can name a few. There's Fulgar, Vitrol, um, Hydragrenum or something, Uh, Aeoli. It's not Aeoli, (laughs) but it's something like that. Um, Basically, yeah. So, you know what this this potion needs? Delicious garlic mayonnaise. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So basically, anytime you want to create a potion, you need to have the. Again, sort of the schematic equivalent, the, the recipe for it, right? Mm-hmm. But the recipe is always going to be a combination of these nine alchemical substances. So if you do have a potion that will heal someone or something, um, I don't think it's that simple in this world, mm. but for mm. the sake of explaining it, um, and you, let's say you'll need uh, two quibble, um, an aioli, and a hydrogranum, or whatever it is, you need these four, you need at least... Um, you need the substances that have this alchemical substance in them. So yeah. that might be a flower, it might be a bit of oil, and it might be milk or something. Yeah. We'll all have these things in. You can then make those po- those al- that uh, alchemical solution together with an alchemy check. I'm pretty sure there's an alchemist class. Or your crafting class can be in, in alchemy instead of crafting. Yep. Um, and then you can make that potion. So another really cool thing... It synergizes. It's it, it. It has synergy with witches as well. Witches have very specific potions and decoctions that they can make that only witches can use. Yeah, um, and that gives them a level of toxicity that they then will take disadvantages with. Um, the fun thing about the Witcher potions, though, is there is a system to make non-witches drink them. Okay, and and if that actually does help them or hurt them. So there is a Witcher potion called Swallow, which essentially is a healing potion um, that only witches can drink. Non-witches can drink it, but it's more likely to kill them than (laughs) save their life. So they've put that mechanic in the game that if you want to, if you absolutely need to save a PC's life and all you have is Witcher potions, you can actually roll to see if you can save them in this last-ditch effort to use one of these potions on a human. It's very interesting, very cool. And finally, with the gameplay, I do just want to talk about a supplementary text to the um, main source book. Um, It recently came out in 2020, and the reason I'm talking about it, even though we don't usually talk about it, is because it's actually very relevant to the game. So, it's called The Witcher's Journal. Um, As I said, it came out in 2020. Um, It adds so many more monsters to the system. I would highly recommend it. Um... It, it for this game, which is so monstrous, monster-centric, if you want to get all those monsters in there at some point, I highly recommend this supplementary text. Also, what this supplementary, supplementary text adds to the game is a new system called Investigations, which it's not that heavy in the core rulebook, but in this supplementary text, they sort of rejig it into a better system. Basically, every mystery or problem has essentially health that the players can then whittle away at by investigating clues and how well they investigate those clues will take a certain amount of health off the mystery. And then once that mystery gets... Once you've completely exhausted that mystery of health, the players essentially know with all their investigations on the clues what the deal is. So if you want to simplify... Um, investigations or or and quantify it for your players that's a really simple way of doing it as well so that that's what that supplementary text adds so that's really cool it sounds like a
0: really interesting mechanic and i um i i'm really looking forward to not for this one obviously but for like future explorations into this game exploring that a little bit because it sounds like a really fascinating way to to um to to run a mystery and to run a campaign
1: yeah it's very cool it's very cool and and every time you so every so every single clue has a different category it falls into and then requires the use of a different skill so if you find blood that require like you need to use your uh, i'm pretty sure it's like a perception skill on it and if you succeed on that clue, you then get information and also you've chipped away at the mystery health pool yeah so. It's really interesting, really cool. That's pretty much all the gameplay falling now into combat. Um, Will, do you want to just give us the intro into combat? Yeah,
0: so we'll we'll, we'll get stuck into it. Um, so combat in this game, uh, in The Witcher, um, again, runs off um, some, some skills and, and combat skills, but there is also some specific actions and specific, um, specific strikes and things like that. So Jesse, why don't you sort of run us through how combat uh, runs, first off?
1: Yeah, so combat's pretty simple. You, you, you have, sorry, I say it's simple. It isn't, but uh, I'll, I'll get into why it isn't and it is in a moment. But essentially, combat, much like other systems, is set into rounds. So every round in this system is three seconds. So already this is a shorter system. Every other game implies that a round is seven seconds to eight seconds long. Some even ten. That's uh, whereas
0: yeah, that creates a really sort of fast moving. Yeah,
1: so this is what I said earlier, that combat can go very quickly in terms of not only the game time, but also the longevity of the fight, which I find actually a bit more realistic. Um, A lot of fantasy IPs and stuff like that generally draw out combat, make it this long, like constantly slashing at each other's swords and defending and blocking. They're fighting for ages and then finally one of them wins. Yeah. No. No. In real life, combat is not like that. It happens in seconds, and the winner is the person who is better, mm. generally. Mm. And so, and much like The Witcher, it is shown in this system. Um, a really good example is episode one of the Netflix series. We see Geralt just murdering a bunch of bandits in a town, and he essentially walks forward continually, parrying and then killing one stabbing one that wasn't prepared for him, cutting another one's arm off, and then blocking someone, parrying them, and stabbing them, and it's over. Yeah. And even the, the the main, the big titular fight of that episode lasts about 45 seconds, and it's not like parry, parry, parry. It's Geralt's the better fighter, and he's just getting another hit in every single time, and this person's slowly running out of energy until he finally kills them, because he's just a better fighter. And much like that, combat in this system is the same... Um, so there's a lot of things to go through that are important because it, it can be so quick. So obviously at the start of every round, at the start of combat you need to determine your initiative. that is a um, it's based on your speed and stuff like that. Then we go into actions. So there are a few actions in this system and me being idiot I am accidentally pressed close on the list of actions but <laughs> I luckily have it open in another table so, these are your actions in your turn. So, you can make an attack action, you can initiate verbal combat, which I'll get into after this combat section, you can cast magic, you can use a skill to do something, and you can pick up, draw an item or a weapon. That's basically it yeah, for, for the actions. Yeah. Um, that also, from that as well, you can you can move within your turn based on your speed, I'm pretty sure. Yep, speed time, on either yeah. so- Yep, on either side of your action as well. However, there is one other set of actions which are called full round actions which completely take the entirety of your turn. So there is the run action which you can move up to your speed times three. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's what um, I was looking at. Whoops. Yeah, yeah. So you can move your speed but if you run away you, it's three times your speed, mm-hmm. essentially. You can actively dodge which means you impose a negative two penalty to anyone attacking you. Um, so you are just actively trying to not be hit. Um, you can aim. You can take a full turn to aim, which basically is more to do with ranged weapons. Yep. Um, and you give yourself a bonus for up to three turns. You can just take a plus one second turn. You can take a plus two second turn. You can take a plus three um, to your eventual attack. Or you can take a recovery action. Now, a recovery action—it's very simple. Um, you take your turn to essentially catch your breath, and you gain back an amount of stamina equal to your recovery value. Yeah, um, okay. Which again, it's in that table that determines your health yeah, and the your stamina statistics and
0: stuff like and all that. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can also take an an additional action for spending 3 points of stamina as well at any time during your turn. Obviously, you have a limited pool of stamina that will go down over time, so you need to sort of use that sparingly.
0: Um that will create some really interesting um... Like you have to be a bit strategic with what uh, what actions you take and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, it's very similar to in the Star Wars system um, that we played, how you can spend your I can't remember the name of the value now. Your strain, you can use yeah, strain right. to yeah. do extra actions and stuff like that. It's similar to that. Attacking someone, it's a bit, it's a little bit complicated, but it works out in the end. So there is basically a very simple flowchart that is available online that's made by a fan that's really good. So I'm going to talk us through that, just because it's really, it's actually really helpful. So, at the start of your attack, you need to determine, are you aiming at a body part? If you are, you need to choose what body part it is, and based on that, um, you will gain some positives and negatives. If you're aiming for the head, for example, it's harder to hit, but it does triple damage. There you go. So, from there, you then roll your attack... And roll the defense. So if you're attacking with a sword, it's your reflex plus your swordsman skill plus a d10. Um, the defense of the character will be if they're blocking this attack with their shield, they roll their sh- they roll their shield, they roll their body, and they roll a d10. Um, if it's a one, they fumble. That's sort of the failure mechanic there, the critical fail. Okay. Yep. Um, two to nine is standard they will hit, and 10 means they get to roll again. So that's how they sort of have the the natural 20 and natural 1 thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. Um, once you figure out what it is, you can then apply your skills and your stat modifiers as well. Um, then you determine if your attack roll was higher than the defense roll. So with those things I just described, if the attack comes out higher, then you hit. If not, you miss. It's the end of your turn. If it's a yes and you hit... You need to determine if the attack is exceeded by 7 or more. If it is, then congratulations, that's a critical hit. Um, And from there, if it's more than 7, you get 3 additional damage plus a simple critical. If it's plus 10, it's 5 extra damage plus a complex critical. If it's 13 or more, it's 8 extra damage and has a difficult critical. And those critical injuries, you roll on a table and it tells you exactly what it does. Very similar to the Star Wars system. Mm -hmm. Um, also, if it's an aimed attack and it was a critical, you can then do it from the location. So, a critical on the head will could blind someone, it could decapitate them. But if it's critical on the arm, you might cut off their arm, you might cut through their hand, You might they might cut off a finger, something like that. Once that's done, you can now apply your damage. So... What you do is your weapon modifiers will generally have some additional damage. So, for example, the mo- the obvious one is silver does damage to monsters. So, if you have a silver sword and you're attacking a monster, it will do more d6s of damage than a normal sword would. And in fact, a normal sword does even less damage than it normally would to say a human. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And again, once you if the attack was aimed you need to randomly determine where it hit. Very simple. Again, you just roll on a table and it will tell you. Um, and then based on that, you you times the damage or half the damage by a certain amount. Um, again, if it hits on the head, it's times three damage, which is obviously insane. Like, that's <laughs> a lot of damage. Um, if the damage is above a zero... Oh, the, sorry. And then, so... The final part of combat is then looking at how much damage you did and looking at the stopping power that the enemy has. Stopping power is the value attributed to whatever armor they're wearing. So a plate helmet on your head, for example, might give you 5 stopping power. That means you need to do more than 5 damage to actually hit the person. If you do more than 5 damage, not only do you damage that helmet... So it then becomes easier to hit at that location again. The stopping power goes down. That then, obviously, then you can focus attacks with your party and go, okay, keep hitting him in the head because we're damaging that armor. We can actually get through it quicker. Um, But then also the additional damage you did over that stopping power is how much damage you will do.
0: Yeah, right. Okay.
1: And then you then remove that from the health. That is pretty much how an attack works. It does seem like a lot, but once you get in the flow of it it will become pretty simple. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: I do you reckon we we'll, we might be able to post a link to that um, flow chart. Do you reckon?
1: I, I, yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's worthwhile doing. Um, we might chuck it up on our Facebook group. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, cool. It's a very good flow chart. So I, I highly recommend it. It also has a bunch of, um, references to the book as well on the side. So it can tell you where all the classes are and, and all sort of that stuff. So, the good thing is, I need the DM really needs to know this. Yeah, yeah. Um, And with this flow chart in front of you, it's going to make life easy. So, um, players, you don't really need to worry about it, because the DM will tell you as you go. You just go, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. Cool. You, you have hit. Tell me your damage. That does get past his armor. Congratulations, you've done this much damage. Yeah, right. Very okay. So, again, I will say, it does seem like a lot, but once you get that system down, it is not difficult cuz essentially you just know am i aiming no cool do i do i beat their defense yes cool so i've definitely hit them yeah um that's the first thing to determine then you go okay where am i hitting them and did all sorry you go did i crit no cool where am i hitting them on their body great do they have stopping power yes roll my damage is my damage higher than the stopping power Yes, great, reduce that stopping power. That's how much damage I've done. Yeah, cool. Like, like, once you say it like that, it's actually quite simple. Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right. Yeah, Um, cool.
1: Yeah, so that's combat. So there is a few other actions you can take, which I will quickly just touch on. So mainly with attacks, you have two options. You have fast attacks and you have strong attacks, or strong strikes. Sorry, these are strikes. Fast strikes, strong strikes. It's for melee attacks. Fast strikes—they um, don't do as much damage. There is, I'm pretty sure, there's a negative, but they are more likely to hit. Good for unarmored enemies. Strong strikes—they take a negative three to hit. However, they will do times three damage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you can already see that if you do a strong strike and you hit in a crit, and you, and you hit with a critical hit on the head, yeah. you could be doing up to nine times damage. Which basically
0: means, like, permadeath. Games, like, game yeah. over. Because
1: if you, you do five damage times nine, that's 45. That already exceeds high-level health pools. Yeah, right. So yeah. you can understand why there is this, com- the, this semi-complex system in calculating damage, because under the right circumstances, some of these attacks are one-shotting enemies, no matter how strong they are. Yeah, yeah um which is why i will say again that i actually think I, I i have this i i'm not entirely certain that our party is going to live through our encounter but um <laughs> yeah we'll see how that goes i'm not Part of the too fun. worried i'm i'm pretty certain everyone will get to the end i just don't know if everyone's going to win so <laughs> um i right. we'll finally exactly, exactly and finally, our last little bit in the system is the verbal combat section so, again, it's really simple Um, your party, when initiating verbal combat with someone your party needs to establish what their goal is with the verbal combat that might be convincing someone of something telling someone to back down something like that once you've established your goal you then look at everyone's resolve and that is your verbal combat health pool From there, there is verbal attacks, um, which work with your different verbal skills. So, seduction is an attack, um, you can use your intelligence to use certain logic against someone, that sort of thing, and each thing has a different effect, I'm not going to get into them, um... You also have defences for these attacks, so you can choose to ignore something as your defence, <laughs> and or you can choose to rebut against something, you can choose to seduce back, that sort of thing. And then basically, again, much like combat, did the attack beat the defence? Yes. Excellent. How much damage did that do? You take that off their resolve, and then once the resolve is down to zero, you have won the argument, or you have convinced the person of something, or, yeah, you have intimidated them and got them to stand down. So, yeah, verbal combats are like a light, lighter
0: version of
1: the the actual combat. Yeah, right. But it's very, very interesting, very cool. That's
0: a fun little uh, mechanic.
1: Yeah, very clever, very clever. Really good way to quantify um, quantify verbal engagements. Um, and in a system that actually does have a lot of very intense political drama in it, yeah. you could definitely pursue that within this system as well. So... Using the verbal combat, um, but I think that is everything yeah, think, for this system, pretty so. much. Uh,
0: which is great. It's it, there's a lot to it. There, it's really uh, deep and rich, and um, there's a lot to really explore there. And I think that anyone who's picking up this 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 book. We'll have a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, once we've done our gameplay, we might change our opinions on that, but so far, I really like it, and I really am yeah, interested to get it, I, stuck into it. Yeah, same.
1: I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It gives you so many options um, for a lot of stuff. I particularly like the fact that you get to choose how you defend against an attack, whether that's... So that's the defensive stuff I was talking about earlier. Yeah. So you can choose to, like, dodge an attack or block it with a shield or parry it with your sword, and then, based on how high your skills are, will determine how successful you are. So... yeah you know, if you don't have a shield, but you need to block something, you can still use it with your sword. You will just... Your sword will then take damage and could eventually break. Yeah, so which I remember being, like, balance a key
0: component of the video game as well. And so, being able yeah. to explore that in tabletop setting is, is really interesting.
1: Yeah, and I will just quickly point out that this, this system is entirely based on the video game world. So... I'm um, even within the law that the book sets up, it is set up between the second and third video games. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. That's, that's sort of where the environment is sitting right now. Um, and that again, that's where we will be playing as well.
0: All right. Well, look, thanks very much for running us through that, Jesse. I suppose at this point Not in time, problem. it's it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But... but no, it's, it's, it's all good. And it's all, it's all good stuff to know. Um, but yeah, look, so next up, guys, we're going to be releasing our gameplay episodes, which Jesse is, is wonderfully GMing for us.
1: Yes, I am I am the GM at this time, the, the, back again. The better
0: of the two GMs I think we've had so far. <laughs> more uh, experience, yeah. not necessarily better, more experience. Um, but we have a wonderful cast of, of uh, players to come and, and help us out here. We have uh, Mitch, Nicola, and Simone to join myself. Um, and we'll obviously introduce them next week. But Jesse, do you want to to just run us through uh what your story is going to look like
1: yeah so i will give you our little synopsis All right. <laughs> um okay the idyllic town of Oxenfurt sits upon the pontar river in redania the wooden colorful town of Oxenfurt, with its narrow streets and pointed roofs lives off its academy off its students lecturers scholars researchers and their guests who in turn live off science, knowledge, crafts, and what accompanies the processes of learning. It is a bustling and bawdy haven for students, artists, scholars, and free thinkers. Here, the young reign supreme, in spirit, if not always in fact, with a mug of something strong in hand as they blaze new trails in fashion and thought, confident that the rest of the world will soon follow. But beneath the surface of Oxenfurt lies a hideous terror. The Beast of Oxenfurt is once again out. It's been three weeks with three deaths. A witcher came to town to deal with the monster, but hasn't been seen since. Some say the witcher fled with the money, others say he died to the beast. The four locals who pushed the idea to hire the witcher have been charged with completing the witcher's work as punishment for the loss of coin. With the Beast being punctual as ever, the ragtag group only have a few days before the Beast is set to take its next victim.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. so there you go. Keen as a bean, um, look at that.
1: Yeah. Any fans of the books, you'll know that I ripped some very apt descriptions about Oxenfurt straight from the um, writer himself as a sort of homage there. There we go.
0: So, Oh, I'm really looking forward to that, man. That sounds great. Very
1: exciting. Yeah, and I've been making some music for it as well, which has been great. I accidentally made a musical number. I'm going to work that in there somehow. <laughs> hey, um, why, we'll not? why not? Why <laughs> not? Why not? All right. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. We will see you next week for uh, The Witcher tabletop RPG, Big Trouble in Little Oxenfort. All
0: right. See you next week, guys.
1: Bye. The idyllic town of Oxen's Fert. Fuck I fucked up
0: already <laughs> <laughs> Okay Hold on I'll put that at the end Okay Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um Great <laughs> Great Tabletop Unknown